Good morning, and welcome to episode 740 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus, presented by the Play Index at BaseballReference.com. I am Ben Lindbergh of Grantland, joined by Sam Miller of Baseball Prospectus. Hello. Hello. Ending the week on a good old-fashioned multiple of five, just mm. the way I like it. Mmm. Mmm. It's going to be a good weekend, Ben. It is. It's not one of those multiple fives from this summer when we were doing one show a week and it didn't feel like we'd earned it. This is legitimate. Eh. <laughs> we only did, what did we do? We did four this week? I mean, we didn't catch up to the fives by doing six. No, we we, we caught up to the fives by doing less than five. <laughs> I think I did a six once just so I could do that. I think you did with, <laughs> with, with Russell, right? Yeah. Or maybe you just did or maybe a. Maybe I did a five when you could. You did do a one. holiday. Yeah, you did like a. You did some holiday that otherwise no sane person would have recorded on. Right. Right. Okay. So today we'll talk a little bit about the NLDSs. We can talk about any thoughts we might have from early ALDSs if we have any. Esky magic didn't work out so well <laughs> in <No>. game one. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the thing about magic is you don't think it's going to come together until the reveal. You yeah, know? right. So game five, Eskiel come up with man on scoring oh, position. Oh, no, 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 no. Eski will not be the one who gets the hit. That's oh, the other thing I about see. the Eski magic. It's all about misdirection. <laughs> Eski's magic is like at some point, like, I don't know. Uh, Luis Coleman is going to have to like rejoin the roster for an injury and he's the one who's going to do something. Luis? Why did I call him Luis? Luis. Yeah. Luis Coleman is going to have to join the roster for some reason and then he's going to be the hero and that's going to be, like you won't know it but that's it. And, and Esky's going to like just like uh, he's going to like jump out on the field and go the prestige and, <laughs> and then we'll all be like wow. <laughs> That's Esky Magic. I the worst things get. The, really, the only I won't even be worried if they if they lose the, their third game because uh-huh. that will just make the trick more amazing. <laughs> right. Just be waiting. Like I'll be on my deathbed, being like, "Come on, Esky, <laughs> show me." So the games went the opposite of the way that we thought we would go. It's funny how quickly my brain adjusts to the outcome of one of these games like before the game i was thinking i was feeling bad about myself for not picking the blue jays to sweep since you you mocked me for not doing yeah. that for taking the coward's way out and going for the in four which is not really i was thinking about it afterwards and really if you're picking in four you're just kind of splitting down the middle like you you think it's going to be three four or five and you just go with four even yeah no four is probably no more likely than Five or three right, as an individual outcome. That's the thing about the thing I thought about it too. And in fact, three is not the most likely outcome. Four, if you assume all games are roughly fifty percent, uh, then four and five are each um, about. It's about if you know that a team is going to win the thing. Then you would bet. Uh, then you would figure the chances that they sweep are twelve point five percent. The chances that they win in four are eighteen point seven five percent, and the chances they win in five are eighteen point seven five percent. So, uh, which is to say two things: one, it is not best to bet on a sweep. In fact, unless you think that the team is really a favorite in more than fifty percent, uh, a, a clear favorite, and then it might make sense. But two, in fact, four 
is the only logical answer. Five is the one that makes no sense because uh, to get to the only way that four and five are equal is if you think the two teams are of exactly equal quality. Otherwise, it is more likely that the uh, that the better team will win that fourth game than lose that fourth game. In other words, it is not a 50-50 chance anymore. So you pretty much have to always pick four. If it's a uh, if it's a seven game series, it's a little trickier. But between six and seven, you always have to pick six. There's no that I think this is what we discovered last year too. I think we're we're just going through the same uh, mental process to get to the right answer. But the seven is the statement pick. Oh, it's going to be so close. It's going to be seven. <laughs> seven means nothing. Seven is completely illogical. There is there is no reason, no no like logical reason that you would think a game a series that goes to six would go seven because the teams are evenly matched. It means nothing. You're saying nothing. You are literally saying that it is going to get to 3-2 and then the worst team will win for no reason and then the better team will win. Like that's that's what you're saying. You're predicting that. Uh-huh. Like we can't predict we can't predict anything about baseball. Like look at our out our predictions for a full season. We can't predict anything. And you're saying, "No, I'm pretty sure that in game 6 the worst team is going to win and then in game 7 the better team will win because it's that close or whatever." Don't do it. You got to always go 4 and you got to always go either 6 or fewer. Okay. Well, I feel good that's, about that's, picking, that's what. <laughs> good about picking the Jason 4 then. But the second Did you know? Wait, wait. The, yeah. We uh, one more thing. Just I was also while doing this math, I also discovered that there is, unfortunately, there's only about an eleven percent chance that we will see Kershaw and Arietta match up, one on one, head to head. I know. Now it's much better. It's like almost. It's like much better than that. It's like twenty five percent that we'll see Arietta and Granky, and so there's like a thirty six percent chance or whatever that. Or it's not that. It's less than that. But there's a pretty good chance we'll see Ariadne against one of them. Mm-hmm. Actually, it's about equal. Now that I think about it. It's about a well, it's a 25% chance we'll see Ariadne against one of them. So it's like 14% that it'll be Granky and 11% that it'll be Kershaw. But anyway, that's all. It's We're only still one in nine to see the matchup we all want to see. Okay. Well, I hope that happens. So, yeah. So as soon as the Blue Jays looked vulnerable at all, I immediately just realized how overconfident I was, I think, in the Blue Jays. I don't know. I, I'm still, I mean, fairly confident in the Blue Jays, but we were talking about them as if they were so much better than the Rangers, and they are better than the Rangers. But as soon as you see the Rangers take an early lead and David Price not look so good for one inning and you start to see the Rangers winning game one and then it's only a five-game series, so they only have to win two of the next four, and it just... It's so easy to do for any team, let alone one of the better teams in baseball. So it's uh, it's very much not assured. And now the Rangers have to play without Adrian Beltre, which hurts a lot. While the Blue Jays got their injured stars from Game 1 back at presumably close to full strength. So that makes it more likely that the Blue Jays will win from now on. But obviously less likely than we thought it was yesterday. Any other observations from Game 1s? Games 1? Did the rain delay help or hurt the Royals? Uh, yeah, that was interesting to see one team stick with the starter and one team not. Well, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, 
that it, it was interesting, I guess. They both had, it, really it came down to, I mean, these are not rules that either team has to, by law, stick to. But it basically came down to the Royals went into that rain delay saying 50 minutes, and the Astros go into rain delays saying 60 minutes. And it turned out to be with not, so the rain delay was, I think, 49 or something, but then you also have the the extra half inning that the yeah. guy has to wait before he pitches. And so that's why it becomes 60. It basically becomes 60 minutes. And uh, the Astros, it's just like it just so happened to be that 10-minute window. If it had been 10 minutes fewer, Ventura goes back out there. And if it had been, I don't know if it had been 10 minutes more, if the Astros would have, because, you know, McHugh is old. Um, and that <clears throat> seems to matter in these decisions um, a lot of the time. But the Astros also had two legitimate uh, long man options that they could have gone to. And I guess the other thing is that for the Astros, there's much less upside in bringing McHugh back on yeah. short rest. For the Royals, they're looking at it and going, well, mm-hmm. we got 40 pitches out of him. He's not he's not A-plus today anyway. We want to bring him back. Now is a good time to stop him. Mm-hmm. And you could almost have justified pulling him right there anyway, right? Yeah, because you have strikeout machine Chris Young waiting in the bullpen. <laughs> well, no, but you do have Chris Young in the bullpen, and that yeah. is the park. This is where you want Chris Young to pitch. Right. Chris Young, flyball pitcher against flyball team, as we talked about, is good. And flyball pitcher in Kansas City instead of Houston is obviously preferred. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're going to get, you might get an extra 40 pitches out of Ventura, but. Uh, uh, before he comes back on short rest. Uh, but A, it's not clear that there's a huge improvement in those 40 pitches, especially because part of the reason you think Ventura is so good is that you believed his last 10 starts. And if you believe his last 10 starts, well, I don't know. Why not believe his last 40 pitches? He didn't He didn't have it that day, or he didn't look like he had it that day, uh, which is often a fallacy, but sometimes maybe it's not. Um, and uh, now you basically have Ventura going in game four essentially not on short rest he'll mm-hmm. be he'll be i mean it's technically short rest but he'll be fully full full strength fully rested by game four yeah so it i i you know i think that your first reaction when you see that is oh bad, bad break for the royals but uh in fact it, it might matt trueblood called it a good break and i hadn't really thought about it like that but i i think he's maybe right and they also got in addition to this swap which was arguably favorable for them they also had the chance that McHugh would come out and the hour layoff would have done something to him it doesn't seem to have Mm -hmm. other than the fact that he only struck out one batter so maybe it did uh and uh if the royals had not had a four like a 140 babip then maybe we're having a completely different discussion about post rain delay McHugh Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was a possibility. Yeah. I don't know whether the fly ball facing fly ball turns you into a strikeout pitcher <laughs> or whether it just manifests itself in pop-ups or weaker batted balls if you're not facing George Springer, who hit a home run off young. But that was an impressive five or six batter stretch from young. And I, I guess just facing the Astros turns people into strikeout pitchers, but it was still impressive to watch for a few minutes there. I like Chris Young. Chris Young is fun. Anyone who's weird or does something no one else does is fun, and he is like that in a number of ways. He's taller than everyone else, and he 
has the low BABIP and weird ERA FIP gap over many hundreds of innings, more than anyone else. Deception, whatever it is. So. Yeah. He also has... Uh, it, he's a he's a terrible matchup for the Astros, uh, or he's, a I guess, a great matchup for the Astros on their, from their perspective as far as the running game because the Astros love to steal bases. I didn't watch the game. I will say I listened to the game. And so I will just preface everything I say for the rest of the division series with, if the announcers talked about this ad nauseum, I apologize. I didn't. <laughs> I don't know what the announcers are saying. I know what local announcers on the radio are saying, and sometimes I know what Chris Singleton is saying. Uh, so apologies. But uh, I mean, the the Astros led the American League in steals. Ventura and Cueto like might be one t- one and two in terms of stopping the running game in all of baseball. Like they're just yeah. impossible to run off. They're the best there are, and it undercuts a huge part of the Astros game and offense. I don't know if it's the most valuable part of their game. It might just be a consequence, a correlative of them having an, a young athletic team. And maybe the steals are, are a just a part of all the good that comes out of that and maybe not actually that relevant to their offense. But maybe, but maybe they are. Anyway, they led the American League in steals. They essentially can't steal up into a, or Chris Young, I mean, uh, or Johnny Cueto. But Chris Young is like an all-time bad uh, holder honor of runners. He had my I my I just rediscovered recently. He had like the my favorite year ever when runners went forty four for forty four <laughs> <laughs> off him. Like uh, a couple years. Chris Young getting cut by Hank Conger. Hank Conger, yeah. <laughs> uh, he had uh, a couple years later they went twenty for twenty and uh, and this year with the Royals he was much improved and maybe that's Salvador Perez. Maybe they coached him. Maybe he just decided, hey, enough is enough. I'm going to do something about this. But, you know, he had a high. They, runners leave a lot. They take off a lot against him. But, you know, he, he it wasn't an absurd success rate or anything like that. But still, very easy to run on. A guy that you can run on. And um, they tried. And uh, the American League stolen base leader got thrown out, which was kind of a fun story within the game. Mm-hmm. I listened to most of the first game, Sam style, on the radio. I like the Rangers broadcast crew. Eric Nadell. Yeah. yeah, they have a good one. Although, the, the conclusion I drew from that was that like the ads are just nonstop food on those broadcasts. Texans uh, are really hungry. <laughs> <laughs> there was there's, like a Denny's ad every break. There was sausage ads every break. There was Chili's ads every break. Yeah. And the weird thing was that uh, I kept hearing the ad for like Earl Campbell's Chili yeah. Um, which is pretty big there, I guess. And strange thing is, like, they have Willie Nelson as a spokesman. You'd think Eric Campbell, Campbell would just be his own spokesman, like a <laughs> great football player, played for the Oilers, probably pretty popular in Texas. It's named after him, and You're, they have Willie Nelson. There's got to be a dilution of the Earl Campbell name, though. I mean, not uh, not in general, but if the name... You're already getting the Earl Campbell boost by his name <laughs> being true. in there. Like, it's like a do you really? It's like it's like effect. right. It's like with your presidential candidate, you need to get somebody who has all the opposite strengths of you, so that now people go, well, you know, that one's strong on national defense, and then that one's good on the economy. Like <laughs> so you, you don't get, get the sports star and you get the stoner together. Yeah, right. It's because right. It's like, do you you either right you either eat this chili after a hard workout or you eat this chili when you get the munchies at night? <laughs> that makes a lot of ways. sense. 
to eat chili. Huh. Uh, I listen to the Blue Jays and the Royals broadcasts, mm-hmm. um, and the Blue Jays broadcast is pretty good too. Um, the Royals one is not, but the commercial they had the same ad. Uh, one of the ads was the same, and so I heard it pretty much every break for both games. I probably heard it. 15 to 25 times, somewhere in there. I'll give you a wide range so that I don't exaggerate. 15 to 25 times, and it was for some car parts company, Mm -hmm. and uh, it was really sexist. (laughs) (laughs) And I just heard it over and over and over, and I find that I no longer um, respect women. (laughs) It's weird. It worked really well, wow. Yeah, after my whole life. (laughs) Advertising is very powerful. Yeah. I did hear one Plumbers and Pipe Fitters ad. Yeah. <laughs> so I checked that off my October bucket list. Uh, anything else from those games? Yeah. Okay. So division series, which are about to get started. I guess we'll start with Cubs and Cardinals. Let's start there. Okay. So I, I guess, I mean, this is on paper pretty even, at least win total wise. But it just seems to me that the... Full, se- full season stats overrate the Cardinals in a few ways and underrate the Cubs, maybe. The Cubs are better than they used to be. The Cardinals are worse than they used to be in that they don't have Carlos Martinez and no one knows what Yadier Molina is right now and Matt Adams is hurt and there are other guys who are banged up, Grichuk and Piscotti and no one really knows what they're going to get out of those guys and Waka seemed to have some fatigue issues down the stretch and was pretty bad in September. So they just seem somewhat diminished now, whereas the Cubs just kind of kept getting better throughout the year as their young players came up and matured or got experience or whatever. And uh, it seems to me that the Cubs are the better team and the Cubs had the better underlying record anyway throughout the regular season. If you discount the Cardinals because of all the the cluster luck and the clutchness or whatever you call it that their pitchers had this year. If you take that out of the equation, and maybe it's not fair to take it out entirely, but if you even take it out partially, the Cubs look better relative to the Cardinals. So I could uh, see uh, Arietta only goes one game and Lester goes two, and that's still maybe better than what the Cardinals have. There are Advantage. There are games where the Cardinals will have the pitching advantage, like when Hendricks is pitching Game 2 or Hamels in Game 4 if he's pitching Game 4. Maybe the Cardinals have the advantages in those, but I still think the Cubs would have a slight edge, and I would pick them in 5 if I didn't know how crazy it was to pick teams in 5. Yeah, I mean, let me ask you a question. We know that players get better as they age. So if I told you a guy was 23 and these are his numbers, and then I told you he's perfectly healthy in his age 24 season and told you to guess his numbers, you would guess improvement, right? Yes. Like if you knew he was healthy, if I, if you didn't know whether or not he was healthy, then you might not predict a huge improvement because you've got to factor in that. Well, maybe he'll get hurt. But if I told you that he is definitely healthy, then his numbers would get better. 24-year-olds are better than 23-year-olds. It would be more impressive if he had those same numbers at 23 for the same reason. And what we are essentially, I don't know how much this matters, but I never really think about it. But the Cubs players 
are all older than they were in April. Mm-hmm. They're they're six months older. They're five months older than they were in May. They're four months older than they were in June. They're three months older than they were in July. Yep. Uh, and I think that they're, we never really think about that, but it's got to be an improvement, right? I mean, we yeah. generally, for young players, we tend to think, oh, well, the league will adjust to them. And that's probably true, too. But uh, they're also stronger. They're older. They're they also might plausibly in the post amphetamines game where old players struggle more, they might also have a, uh, an advantage the later the season goes as, um, the toll of the season, uh, on players' bodies affects older players disproportionately. And so Mm -hmm. you could argue that not only are the rosters better because the Cubs were able to bring up these excellent players as the season went on, although the Cardinals also brought up, an excellent player in Steven Piscotty and are now relying on an excellent player in Randall Grichuk. But, uh, but you could also argue that they are literally better players and mm-hmm. that the Cardinals who, uh, have some young players, but also have some old players, older players who were in theoretically the decline years of their career are presumably somewhat worse than they were in April. I, you, I never think about it that way, but it makes sense. Doesn't it? I think so. Yeah. I once tried to figure that out or I wanted to write an article about, in-season declines because we talk about it over the off-season that a player from the previous year is a year older now and he's half a year older in October than he was in April so yeah you would think now that... how much older is he than in May Ben <laughs> almost half a year yeah <laughs> <about> so <laughs> and it turns out to be a hard thing to figure out or at least it was when I tried to do it but uh but it makes sense and you would think I think like it depends how much of the improvement for a a young player comes from just physical and mental maturation, like actual changes in his body or the experience. And you would think that probably, I mean, once you're in the major leagues, probably most of it comes from the experience. I'm not sure about that, but you would think that most guys are pretty mature by the time they get to the majors or if anything, they're slowing down, possibly. Maybe they're still getting stronger. I don't know. But you would think a lot of the advantage or a lot of the difference between a guy who just came up and is pretty good and a guy who's in his prime and is great is the experience of just having a couple more years of seeing Major League Pitching. And so you would expect most of the improvement to come in season, if that were the case, as opposed to the six months of off season when... Maybe you're getting stronger, but you're not seeing live pitching, and so you're not improving in that way. So you would think that the bulk of the improvement would come from April to October as opposed to, you know, November to April. But I don't know. But yes, I think that's true. And Holiday is another guy I mentioned to... That's a good point. It's not just that they're half a year older. Yeah, but it's the important could, part of the year. You could hypothesize that it's the important part of the year. You could also hypothesize that it's not, that most of this is physical strength. Mm-hmm. At this point, you could I don't you could hypothesize that. I'm not sure which would be true, but I think you're right. I think that you're correct that it is the most like this six months, which by the way, most of the season was not six months ago. Only a game was six months ago or mm-hmm. a couple of games. But you you could argue that uh, in fact the six months is equivalent to I don't know eight and a half months or nine and a half months or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And right, so Matt Holiday, another guy who started out well and then missed a lot of time with injuries and didn't hit in the short time after he returned. So almost everyone in the 
cardinals, like almost all of the important cardinals are missing or have some sort of asterisk at this point. So that makes me think that they are slightly worse than the Cubs. The Cubs aren't really missing anyone. And the Cardinals did get Wainwright back, and maybe that will help, but he's probably an inning-at-a-time guy right now, so there's a limit to how much he can do. So that's about it. And if you want to say that there's a managerial mismatch, I guess you could argue that there is with Madden and Matheny, at least as far as tactical stuff goes. The Cubs seem to be the better defensive team now than the Cardinals are. I'm going with Cubs. The biggest advantage that the Cardinals have is that they don't have the wild card penalty. Yeah. And like you say, there's you could make a case. For, I mean, I think that you could make a case. It's Lackey against Lester today. Yeah. I think you could make a case for Lackey over Lester. Yeah. It's not. Yeah. It's not a big difference. So, uh, so you could argue perhaps that the Cardinals have the rotation advantage in four games, or at least two of the three where there's a real difference, mm-hmm. and that the Cardinals have, I think, a clearly better bullpen. Is it clearly better? Uh, Maybe it's not it's... now that Rodney's good again. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. how did that happen? Um, <laughs> it always happens. I don't, I don't, um, yeah, I don't, I don't think it's huge. I, I don't know. Rosenthal's really good. You... Segrist is really good. Broxton's yeah. good. Yeah. Manus, other guys. <laughs> I can keep naming pitchers <laughs> Name who are good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, so maybe, but I would give at least some edge. I, I might be wrong, but I would give some edge to the Cardinals there. So mm-hmm. so there's that. But, yeah, I mean, yeah, they, the Cubs are a better team. The, like, the only way that you pick the Cardinals here is if you're giving a, a, big, uh, a big boost to the experience factor, to mm-hmm. the been there before factor, to the been successful at this stage factor mm-hmm. uh and uh if you do you look at baseball a little differently than i do mm-hmm. i think that i mean if there's if there is such a fear in the hearts of ball players, frankly i think that by the second game of the postseason it's gone and uh all these cub all these cubs every single cub now has postseason experience uh in an elimination game no less mm-hmm. against an ace no less and uh, they did very well. And it wasn't just that Jake Arrieta threw a shutout. They played a good game. They made good plays. Mm-hmm. They knocked the sixth best pitcher in the America in the National League out in whatever innings. So they're a good team that played well. Uh, and I would consider the Cardinals' uh, experience uh, advantage, if it existed, to be wiped out. So yeah. I also would pick the Cubs. I have uh, Pakoda game by game, or at least for some games. Okay. And... Uh, Hang on. I should, before I read a bunch of bad ones like I did yesterday, let me just make sure. <laughs> I left that... uh, I left Randall Grichuk off my list of walking wounded Cardinals. So. Oh, what is he? Uh, I didn't know he was walking wounded. That's too bad. Yeah, he's got elbow stuff. It's not really clear whether he can throw baseballs. Oh, yeah. He still can't throw, huh? Yeah, maybe not. Bummer. Yeah. He can hit. Yeah. We have the... Cardinals as uh, the Cubs as very slight favorites in game one and the Cardinals as reasonable, clear, but not overwhelming favorites in game two. We don't have three and beyond, but I think presumably we know who the favorite is in game three. So that Grichuk brings up a, a, a decent point. So Grichuk is a really good hitter, right? Yeah. Like he, he is a guy who can start for a championship level team in a corner outfield spot. Like that's how good he is. Mm-hmm. And now he'll be a pinch hitter that you can leverage off the bench. 
And that's pretty great to have. And there are very few of these guys out there who you could get to be a wanted bat, awesome hitter off the bench. And so it's not like there's just like like all a team has to do to have this is open their eyes and get someone. But do you think that in within at some point in the next, I don't know, 10 years or something, we'll start to see more August acquisitions that mimic the August pinch runner acquisitions where teams are taking, um, you know, like, a, I don't know, some some really good hitter who is playing for a bad team and deserves to start and could start every day, but is wasted on a good team, on a bad team. And the teams will just have him and use him as strictly a leveraged pinch hitter. Will we ever see the highly leveraged pinch hitter, I guess? I don't think so. I don't I think, I mean, the thing about the pinch runner that everyone has is that there are a lot of those guys, even, and they're, even and they're within... essentially worthless otherwise. Yeah, they're worthless otherwise. They're, a lot of teams just have them in their system, yeah. like the Yankees call up Rico Noel or whoever just because he's fast. And yeah, they're not really in much demand, and you don't really have to... I, they're just, I mean, there's been a decline in pinch hitter usage in general just because benches are smaller and bullpens are bigger. And I guess that's still the case in the postseason. Maybe there are fewer opportunities to pinch hit than than there once were, or there are fewer managers who are willing to pinch hit than there once were, like Ned Yost. So probably not, because you'd still have to, like, you'd you'd be paying for a guy who is going to get one plate appearance every two or three games for you and you'd be acquiring him from a team that uses him every day as a starter and even if he's not as valuable to that team because that team's not going anywhere I, I still don't know whether it would be worth it so basically the cardinals lucked lucked into they're one of their better players is injured so that's not luck but yeah, it's just a fluke <laughs> that the cardinals have this opportunity now if i asked you to uh put a value on randall grichuk as a leveraged pinch hitter in this series relative to his normal value as a starting outfielder, where one is full value, 120 is 20% more value, 80 is 20% less value. What is Randall Grichuk's value in this series? 60. Hmm, okay. I don't see any way in which... I mean, it's an advantage, I guess, in that you can decide when you want to use him, so... You can save him for the important spot, whereas if he was in the starting lineup, you wouldn't be able to control when he comes up. But he would still come up four times a game. He would. Yeah, he would, but who knows which four times. Who knows? Although it's it's not yeah, it it's not quite the same as a reliever because you can use him all four times without having to worry about burning him tomorrow or anything like that. And so yeah, in those four times it is almost certainly that it is almost certain that uh his like like one of the reasons that you it's nice to save a reliever is, oh, if it's a blowout, it turns out you didn't really need the guy, so you don't burn him. But you don't burn your hitters in any meaningful way. And so yeah. he'd get those four plate appearances. They wouldn't mean anything in a blowout, but whatever. It's the same. So, yeah, you're right. 60 seems even maybe a little high. Plus the pinch hit penalty, if that's a thing. Mm, yeah. All right. So Dodgers-Mets. I'm looking forward to this one. This is like the ultimate starting pitching series. Just all the good starting pitching is in this series. I think I think I'm leaning Dodgers just because you have the potential for four Kershaw Granky games if the 
Dodgers are down 2-1, they would probably bring back Kershaw in Game 4 and then have Granke in Game 5. So that's pretty tough to beat. I mean, that leaves you with, unless you think there's some kind of thing about Kershaw that he's not as good as in October, which he definitely hasn't been, but I would assume this is a case like every other great player who's supposed to not be as good in October, and then you just give them a few more series, and eventually they are as good as they usually are. I would expect that to happen in this series. I sort of hope that happens in this series, just so the last black mark against Kershaw can be erased, and it's hard to beat a team that starts two of the best pitchers in baseball four out of five times and starts Brett Anderson in the middle, which is not terrible. But the Mets obviously are the probably team best equipped to match up with that, starting pitching-wise, and that they'd be going with DeGrom and Harvey and Syndergaard and maybe Mats in Game 4, and the difference between those guys and Kershaw and Granke is smaller than it would be for most teams. But just the kershaw Granky factor combined with the fact that a lot of the Mets' best hitters are left-handed and Kershaw and Anderson are left-handed— and that would seem to neutralize them a little bit, and Terry Collins seems to not be interested in platooning or using pinch hitters a lot for those guys. So if that's the case, then uh, you know that sort of hurts them. Then they have guys like Conforto or uh, I don't know who else, um, Duda, and guys who are not as good. Granderson. Granderson, yeah. So Murphy, Daniel Murphy is worse. Um, so that's uh, possibly a pretty big disadvantage for them. Kershaw's career platoon split, by the way, mm. is, is basically zero. Huh. Um, so Have we talked about the... We have talked about whether like the, the pitcher's platoon split or the hitter's platoon split yeah, matters more. Yeah, way back, I'd guess around episode 200, it was like a multi-episode <laughs> storyline. Really? Yeah. What and they, we... Eventually, I think Eventually, the writers wrote that off the, <laughs> the show, but yeah, uh, we uh, the pitchers platoon split means more. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh huh. Like I, I don't. I, I think that probably, probably Tango can tell you exactly how much more. Mm-hmm. But as I recall, the pitchers platoon split is the kind of uh, determinant factor. Mm-hmm. And the. Dodgers have home field advantage or whatever that matters. So And they might sign a bunch of free agents in the middle of the series. <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, any other important factors? Uh, X factors. Well, and I don't know. Does it matter? It doesn't matter, right? But does it matter that the Mets have a losing record against everybody who's <laughs> not in the NL East? I mean, uh, it's not just that they have a losing record against good teams. They have a losing record against, like, the world. They're, if you take away the Marlins, Phillies, and Braves, I guess probably most teams have a losing record if you take away the Marlins, Phillies, and the Braves, but the Dodgers don't. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't know how much it matters that we uh, that we have some question about how seriously to take the Mets yeah. given their competition. Jeff Sullivan wrote about it just as I was about to start writing about it, which was a frustrating moment, but one that happens often. And he just kind of looked at like record against below 500 and above 500 teams, which as he acknowledged is not the most precise way to do it. But 
he found that there is no difference in postseason performance from teams that had just beaten up on bad teams and you know versus the alternative and it sort of makes sense that there wouldn't be because if you were bad against really good teams then you must have been really extra good against bad teams and that's still if you're if you're a playoff team because you had to win enough games to get there and so if you were really really good against bad teams that probably still tells you something about your ability to beat good teams it still tells you something about the team's talent yeah that it's not that's not really my point uh though it's more that they played a lot of really bad teams they did it's not so much oh well can they can they only beat uh, yeah like it's not well they they beat up on bad teams and did poorly against good teams it's that they played a lot of bad teams mm-hmm. like we we know that half their schedule was against a division that got destroyed by every other baseball team yeah that's all yeah i i think it's a legitimate thing to factor in you would mm-hmm. you would adjust their numbers slightly like if you if you were to give the Mets the Dodgers schedule, then you would probably say that the Mets would have won fewer games, right? I mean, they would have scored fewer runs and they would have allowed more runs, probably. That is that is the premise. That yeah. I'm, yeah. So that sounds reasonable to me. Plus Corey Seager. Yeah. Corey Seager starting in place of Jimmy Rollins, which is uh, something that everyone wondered whether that was going to happen or whether it was going to be a thing that we would talk about it not happening so it's not. And Yasiel Puig is probably on the bench, or I guess he's a guy, if you want to look for another Gritchuk type mm-hmm. who's just on the bench for various reasons, but could be a weapon off of there. Puig against left-handers would be a, a useful guy to have. Yeah, although not has not been the hitter that no. Gritchuk... I mean, he's been... He's, he's, he's good, we presume he's still good, but has not been the hitter that makes you go, whoa. Mm-hmm this year yes and i don't know whether jack peterson will be benched or not but maybe it doesn't matter all that much so i would say that the dodgers have the edge here again i don't think it's huge i thought the only real series that there was a clear edge in this postseason was blue jays rangers and that's not going the way that i expected it to yet but other than that they're all series where you wouldn't really even bat an eye about any outcome it'll be fun yeah cubs dodgers seems right and there's probably a 30 percent, maybe 40 percent chance that in 11 days we're previewing a cardinals mets lcs Mm -hmm. and don't think anything of it sure and the dodgers have a bullpen now it's not like it was last year when it was just Jansen and no one else he really wanted to see. Not 30%, by the way. Uh-huh. That would imply that those teams are the favorites. Yeah. It's 20, 20%. Yeah. So they have Jansen, who's still great, and they have Chris Hatcher, who's been good, and J.P. Howell's pretty good, and and Pedro Baez is, you know, they have a bunch of decent guys, and even Joe Peralta has been great for the last month or so. So... There's still no one who's like a setup man on Jensen's level. And maybe the Mets have an advantage there in that. I mean, Familia is really good. And then after that, it still seems like sort of the same thing to me where they have Clippard and he's been a little less good this year. And they have Addison Reed, who's been very good for them. But 
there's a clear drop-off from the closer to the setup guy. So they both seem sort of similar to me in that respect. So we have made our picks and our pronouncements. Now we can go watch the games. So you can send us emails at podcast at baseballperspectus.com. You can rate and review and subscribe to the show on iTunes. I read a couple of recent reviews from people who actually went back to the beginning and listened to the entire show, which is amazing. I can't believe that anyone did that, but I salute you or I question your, your motives and your decisions. And you can join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Effectively Wild and support our sponsor, the Play Index at baseballreference.com. Use the coupon code BP when you subscribe to get the discounted price of $30 on a one-year subscription. Enjoy the baseball weekend, and we'll be back on Monday. Nothing too very scientific Just thinking of a series of dreams Thinking of a series of dreams